as I said a moment ago, we are in, uh, this is week eight of this series and we should wrap it up next week, uh, kind of going week to week, never really know exactly where God's taking us in the week to follow, but it has been amazing to watch this series unfold. And so today we're going to talk about the God who fights for you and I was just thinking about, oh boy, oh there they are, okay, <laughs> at least they weren't on my head, that would be worse, right? Okay, now I was thinking, you know, you, you're hearing recently in the news, right? So you're, you're hearing about the, oh, the next war is coming. Now you, Russia's going to invade Ukraine. And there's always another war, right? Before this, it was China and Taiwan, 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 Taiwan. Uh, before that, it was North Korea and somebody, I think maybe us, you know this. And I, I got to thinking about this reality that, you know, there are certain people, I do think there are certain people in these countries that like war. <laughs> they like war. They're always pushing for the next war. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, there is one person, I can call him a person, but there's, there's one somebody that l absolutely loves war more than anybody else on the planet. You know who that is? Satan. Satan. He loves war. He thrives on war. And uh, we are in a spiritual battle. Even when we don't know we're in a spiritual battle, we're in a spiritual battle. And what's so fascinating about this as we think about this today is that um, the war is over. But Satan battles on. The war is over. It's been finished. Remember on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. And at that point, it was finished. All the work was done. 
Everything we needed for our salvation was complete. It was finished. Uh, We know that at that point, the Bible says Jesus actually went down to hell and preached the gospel to the fallen angels and and told them, hey, you know, this is the gospel and it's over. It's done. So I'm sure Satan got word and he knows, but he likes to fight. He likes to, and and he knows his days are numbered. And so until that day comes, he is going to continually fight on. Because the reality is we haven't felt the full effects of of uh, of the finished work of Christ and and while it's been finished in us, it hasn't been told, been finished for us, and we are still waiting for that day we get to go to glory and get our new glorified bodies. I, I saw a comment this week. Someone was asking, you know, kind of the, the why question. Why does Satan attack us? Why does Satan so enthralled with us? Why does Satan hate us so much? And, and you know, the truth is, Satan really, when, when you think about it, Satan doesn't care that much about you. You're not that big of a deal to Satan. But you know why Satan attacks us? Because God does care about us, because we are a big deal to God. And the only way that Satan can really get at God is by attacking his creation, by attacking you and me, by trying to tear us down and make our lives miserable. And so just think about this reality today that God is resolved to fight for you. He is resolved to fight for you. And he knows that Satan is coming after you. He knows that we're kind of like the pawns in the war between, the war is between God and Satan. It's not between us. We're like, we mean nothing to Satan. We mean everything to God. And because of that reality, Satan attacks us and God is resolved, and we're going to see this today, to fight for us. And there is some comfort in, in that understanding, right, of knowing that we get attacked by Satan because we matter so much to God. Isn't, isn't there some comfort in that, right? That's, how, that, that, that's why we're in the midst of this spiritual battle. Now, as I think about this today, and we think about this, this resolution that God has resolved to fight for us, I want to just, just open with this again, this, this idea of this gospel-centric preaching. And this is really where the whole series began back in 1 Corinthians 2. Too. Remember, this is kind of our theme verse. For I resolved, says Paul, to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we said at the very outset, you know, Paul didn't have a list of New Year's resolutions. He had one resolution, the gospel. Everything in his life was about the gospel. The gospel was the answer to everything. And it is. And it really is. And there's this, this, this essence today of understanding the, the, the reality of gospel-centric preaching. I remember the first time that, that it really hit me, and it's, it goes back about 12, 14 years ago, Christ is my life. And then I realized, oh, I'm a new creation, and I have a brand new creation heart. And, and I, I remember when I first processed that, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And then I'm like, wow, what will that do to my preaching? <laughs> Every message is the same thing, you know? It's like... And it can sound redundant, except it's not, because Christ is this enormous treasure. As we saw a couple weeks ago, he's this this enormous treasure in these jars of clay that we keep discovering what it means that Christ is my life and how much power that gives to me. And so gospel-centric preaching does a couple things. It puts Christ not just at the center of every message, but at the center of our life. Christ is in the center of my life. My life is all about him. And then the the second thing that this gospel-centric preaching does it, it does this, it keeps preaching the gospel to believers. Like we often think, you know, you gotta present the gospel in every message for somebody that might be unsaved to hear the gospel. Well, the gospel is not just for unbelievers, it's for you and I, it's for believers. Remember this verse, we, we quoted this verse last week. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous or just shall live by works. Oh, that's, that's not right, is it? 
Wouldn't that be an exhausting life? No, the just or righteous shall live by faith. And so the gospel is for you and me. The gospel doesn't just save us. It is what sustains us. We are saved by grace through faith and we live every day by grace through faith. And we've talked a lot about the grace and the faith and how it all goes back to Christ. And so this gospel-centric preaching also underscores the big idea of this series, right? But again, it says the just shall live by faith. That's gospel-centric preaching. Just, under, just, just emphasizing that for us because it is so easy to get caught up in what I have to do and how committed I am. And as I said, this, this goes back to the big idea of this whole series, right? God is more committed to us than we are to him. And we need to get this in our head and we need to approach life like, you know, God's more committed to me than I'll ever be to him. And if I realize how committed he is to me and the resolutions he has for my life and what he wants to do in my life and if I'll just step back and say, okay, Lord, you have the freedom, I'll embrace whatever you want to do and it's not about how faithful I am to you, it's about how faithful you were to me and still are to me and that will be so understood and appreciated in today's message as we talk about that in 2022, God is resolved to fight for you. So the question is, how do we let God fight for us? How do we, we kind of just step back and give the, the battle to God and not take it up in our own hands? Because in our humanness, it's like, yeah, we, we've got to get in there and charge. And when we get involved and we start fighting, we, we'll fight the wrong enemy, we'll fight the wrong way, we'll, we'll, you know, everything will get messed up. But when I can step back and say, okay, I'm going to let God fight this battle for me. And we're in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 12, and we read this earlier, but let's start here. In this passage, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And, and let me just say, let me back up because I didn't put it on the screen, but our big idea today is simply this, the undeniable God is fighting for me. I mean, the, excuse me, the undefeatable God is fighting for me. And the reality is God is just not undefeated. He is undefeatable. God cannot be beaten. He won the ultimate war. And there's not a war that he can't, a battle that he can't win when I let him fight it for me. And sometimes it might not look like he's winning, but he's winning. He's always winning. And so how do we then let God fight for us, this undefeatable God? Well, the first thing here we see in these first three verses is to stand up. God fights for us as we simply stand, having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Paul just says you need to stand up. That's where this battle starts. You just take a stand. Now, a few things here. First, the bottom line is, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And the bottom line is, is that he fights for me. Think about that. I'm not fighting for him, right? Isn't that how we often look at our, I'm fighting for the Lord. And, no, he's fighting for me. And it's a battle I cannot win on my own and there's nothing quicker to defeat than when I think I have to, to fight for God and defend God. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God. Let me click ahead here. He fights for me. And so then he goes on, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And let me just tell you, when it comes to the spiritual battle, no one understands the schemes of the devil better than who? <laughs> God. He understands how Satan thinks and operates. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He, he understands what we will struggle to understand. And Satan will attack us and trip us up in ways that we're not going to be prepared for if we're not letting God fight 
the battle for us. And then he goes on, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces. And so this is a spiritual battle, it's not a physical battle. And see, when we fight, we tend to fight in the physical realm, right? And there are people that become the target of the fight, and and, uh, circumstances become the target of the fight. And and the reality is, the real fight is is, is a spiritual enemy, not a physical enemy enemy we're fighting an an enemy that we can't see i read a great commentary this week that talked about this framing this whole understanding of this within the context of ephesians in this sense there's an ephesians context here but the battle is taking place in four places in our home on our job at our church or in our mind that somehow this spiritual battle is taking place in one of those four areas most likely And this is kind of what Ephesians presents to us. And the thing that is fascinating is what happens is we sometimes confuse where the battle is being taken place then with who the enemy is. Well, it's in my home, so the... So the battle's with my wife or my kids or, you know, it's, it's on the job so it's with that coworker, or something, something up here in my mind and, and we lose sight of the spiritual battle, the, the spiritual nature of this battle and that the enemy is Satan and it's not somebody else. It's not even myself. We need to keep that in mind. One other thing here that's fascinating about this whole concept of standing then, like how do, we, how, do we, how do we let God fight this battle? We take a stand. What's really fascinating is this is unique to Paul. Like you cannot fight, Jesus never tells anybody, stand on the truth. Stand in your, you know, integrity. Stand, you know. Jesus never says that to the disciples. Peter, a couple times Peter kind of uses this concept. But the only one who really uses it is Paul. Now, there's certainly all, all throughout the Bible that tells us to stand for a variety of reasons, but Paul talks about standing. Like, and, and here's how you can understand what Paul is talking about and why Paul uses it the way he does. Remember back when Moses was up on the, uh, on the mountain and the bush started burning, right? And what did God say to Moses when he was up there and the bush started burning? What's one of the first things he said to him? Right. Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. There it is. Take the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And here's what has happened. See, this is what happened through the cross and the resurrection. That we can go back to that. The cross and resurrection is that the cross and resurrection, God did something amazing. God created the holy of holies. He put that holy of holies in your heart. And he gave you a new spirit and he moved into your life. And so you know what that means? (laughs) Everywhere you are, you are standing in holy ground. You literally are. You have the holiness of Christ. We sang, I love that line, holiness is Christ in me. We sang it in that one song and that's the truth. We are as righteous as Christ. He became as sinful as us on the cross and took our sins. We, we could become as righteous as he is and everywhere I stand that I am standing in holy ground. And so Paul uses this analogy of standing firm, of standing in your faith. I put it on your handouts we can't go through them all today. We may go through this in Sunday school. We were talking with Wayne about this because there's just so many scriptures here. There's a, about at least 12, maybe up to 15 times Paul uses this, this analogy. We stand in grace. We stand in the gospel. We stand firm in your freedom, standing firm in one spirit, which is unity. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And so Paul uses an analogy or or an illustrative look here at the spiritual battle that no one else uses. That because of the cross and resurrection, we can indeed stand. So this is where 
This is where this spiritual battle all starts. Again, the undefeatable God is fighting for me. Just know that today. The undefeatable God, the God who can't be defeated, is fighting for me. Here's our second, uh, here's a second step really when it comes to, to fighting the spiritual battle. The first, the first step isn't even a step, right? We just stand, but here's the second step. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. And so next, we suit up. So we stand up, and then we suit up. We stand up and we suit up. Maybe you heard the story of that Eric Weddle, right? He, he, he had retired a year or two ago from football. He played for the Rams, the last team, and they called him up a month before the Super Bowl and said, hey, we need some help in defense. Are you in shape? <laughs> and so Eric Weddle decided to come out of retirement and suited up and helped them win the Super Bowl. Well, we're called to suit up every day to put on our spiritual armor. God fights for us as we put on his armor. Hmm. Put on the whole armor of God. Now the question here really is, what is this armor? How do we understand this armor? How do we process this armor in such a way that we can put it on and it can be effective in our life? We're going to walk through it momentarily and get a sense of the significance here, but let me give you a very transformational way to look and understand that whenever you see the armor, think of it in this term. I think this will be really powerful. The armor of God is ultimately the life of Christ. The armor of God is ultimately the life of Christ. We talk all the time, right, about our identity in Christ. What if the armor of God is nothing more than our identity in Christ and to put on the armor of God is to live in that identity? That God is fighting for me. And as you, look at the, as you look at the armor in this sense, it will be really amazing. As I was thinking about this this week, I was taken back to the Old Testament, right? To David and Goliath. What a fascinating story, right? And you know how it, how, how it goes. David ends up out there at the battlefield. And when he arrives at the battlefield and he hears Goliath come out and defy his God, this is what happens. When no one steps up to shut up Goliath, David knows why he ended up where he did and he takes up his spiritual armor. And he goes to Saul and so Saul says, okay, you can fight him, I fine. And what does Saul try to do? Saul tries to put his armor onto David. And of course it doesn't work, it's too big, it's too cumbersome, that's not gonna work. And so what does David do? But David takes off that armor and David puts on what? He puts on the inner armor of God. He puts on the spiritual armor of God. He goes out there with a, with a sling and five stones and marches out to take on Goliath. And Goliath is deeply offended because, well, this guy is like a little puny guy and he's not taking this serious at all. Like, come on, I'm, I'm here for a real, a real fight. He did not know that David came out in the armor of God, the inner armor of God. And that's when David speaks that iconic line that has resonated for 3,000 years, right? Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. How amazing, how amazing. What an amazing confidence. What an amazing testimony. What an amazing battle as he takes down Goliath. All because he put off the physical armor and he fought in the spiritual armor, the inner armor of God. 
And so what does this inner armor look like? What does this spiritual armor look like? He goes through it and there are six pieces to it. And uh, so how do I then? How do I stand? This is really how I stand. I stand by putting on this armor. If I don't put on the armor, I can't stand. But if I stand up and I stand in my identity, then I can, yeah, I can fight this. And so that, that's the first piece of, of the armor. I stand in my identity. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And the belt, the belt of truth, the belt was the part of the armor that held all the armor together. This was the most important part of the armor. And the debate here is whether or not the truth is the, the objective truth of God's word or the subjective truth of ourselves. And what I mean by that, there is the objective truth that says this is who you are. This is what the Bible says about who you are. This is God's truth. This is what I say about who I am in the sense that uh, like I'm being honest with myself, like where am I vulnerable? Where am I weak right now? Where am I struggling right now? Now that's all well and good. And I'm not saying that's, we all need to ask those questions. Where am, I, where am I not putting on the armor? Where am I vulnerable or where am I weak? But when you want to talk about the, the truth that is the belt that holds everything together, that's going to be the objective truth of what God says about you, who God says you are. And we just need to know that. We need to understand that. And so we start. I stand in my identity. This is who I am in Christ. Who am I really? That's the question. Who am I really? Not who does Satan say that I am. Not who does someone else say that I am. Not who who do I say that I am. Not how do I feel about who I am. Who does God say that I am? What is the truth about who I am in Christ? Look at this passage in 2 Thessalonians. I love it when I find a passage that just catches me that I kind of just read over for so many years. Finally, brothers, he wrote, Paul writes to the, the, the church here. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. So he's in a spiritual battle and so are the Thessalonians. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And look what he says, and we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. And so why was he so confident in the Thessalonians? He was confident in what? In the Lord. He wasn't confident in them, but he knew, he understood that they were standing in Christ. And because they were standing in Christ, he had confidence in the Lord about them. And then look at that, verse five. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. There is a steadfastness you'll only find in Christ. That's why it's so important we find our identity in Christ. This is where our steadfastness, this, this isn't the same as standing firm, but it's similar. It's the idea of patience, endurance, just patiently enduring in Christ. And we get that from Christ. We get that from the gospel. We get that from our relationship with him. And just think about the implications here because while I'm standing, while I'm trying to stand, what is Satan doing? What's Satan's, what is Satan up to? Think about this, Satan, at the same time that I'm standing simultaneously, Satan wants to defeat me by deceiving and defining me. So I, this is the belt of truth, that this is who I am in Christ, and Satan, Satan wants to come along and deceive me, and he wants to define me or redefine me. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. It's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. He deceived them, lied to them, tried to define them. And see, the, the reality is we can be defined by any number of things in practical terms. I can def- be defined by my relationships. I can be defined by my past. I can be defined by my career and my accomplishments and my talents and all kinds of things. None of that will produce what? Steadfastness. 
But Christ will give me steadfastness. And so Satan is trying to defeat me. And one way he tries to defeat me is deceive me and confuse me about who I am. And I need to remember, I just need to stand firm every day. This is who I am in Christ. And nothing I do can take away that identity. Nothing I do can redefine who I am in Christ. The undefeatable God is fighting for me. And then secondly, I stand in my integrity. Verse 14, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this is really important that we get this and why I'll tell you why I use the word integrity there. But here's the key. The righteousness here, it's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. My righteousness won't, won't hold up in the battle. Let me just tell you. Sorry, even your pastor will admit that. My righteousness won't hold up in the battle. But the righteousness of Christ will hold up in the battle. And I can look at Satan, I can look at the enemy and I can say, no, I am righteous and I am holy and this is who I am in Christ, yes. The world loves this line, right? They, they always love this line, am I being true to myself? Oh, the world loves that line. You know, and it's not a bad line, really. Because if someone doesn't know Christ and they go out and they live a life of sinful debauchery and drunkenness and carry on and they don't know Christ and they have nothing, no desires for God, well, that, they're being true to themselves. That's who they are. But, but we need to flip that around to you and my, am I being true to myself? Because I am. Holiness is what Christ in me. I have the righteousness of Christ. So am I being true to myself? Am I living true to who I am in Christ? That's the challenge. And I stand in my integrity. And here's again why I say integrity. The world loves, often we define integrity in the world today as being a man or a woman of your word. Or being a man of a woman of your word even in, in private, not just in public. But I always like to flip this around for us as Christians and raise the bar a little bit because the reality is what is integrity for you and me as believers? It's not being a man or a woman of our word. It's being a man or a woman of God's word in private and in public. And we all struggle with that. Let's be honest. We all struggle with the word. We all struggle with what the word says and we all struggle to... But the reality is I stand in my integrity and I can have a, an integrity other than anybody else in the world because I am holy, because I am righteous in Christ, because I have his righteousness. And now I need to be a person of integrity, a person of God's word. I heard somebody this week raise a fascinating idea. Did you know that you're a slave? Did you know that everybody in the world is a slave? I never thought about this before. Look at Romans 6. What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness i am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification and a great question here am i living as a slave of righteousness am i living that way See, here's, here's what Paul says to us. First, whoever we are or whatever we obey, we are slaves of. Like in practical terms, if I, if I obey righteousness, I'm a slave of righteousness. If I obey sin, I'm a slave of sin. 
But it's not that simple because then he goes and says, when you are saved, when we are saved, here's what happens. We're made a new creation in Christ, given a new obedient heart. It's right in there again. We have obedient hearts. We become slaves of righteousness, meaning obedience to God is my default position. Righteousness is my default position. Now, it doesn't mean it's that easy, right? Because I've still got all these memories, all this stuff going on in my mind. The, the enemy's attacking me. But then third, Paul wraps it up and says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now, yeah, be a, be a man or a woman of integrity, a man or woman of God's word, and be true to yourself and live as a slave of righteousness. Why? Because you are a slave of righteousness. You may not always feel like you are, but you are. God made you a slave of righteousness. We're all a slave of something. If you don't know Christ, you're a slave of this world. You're a slave of sin. If you know Christ, you are a slave of righteousness. So be true to who you are. And consider this in this spiritual battle that's being fought in our home, on our job, at our work, or even up here in our mind. And what is, what is Satan always scheming to do then while I'm trying to, to stand and live in my integrity? What is Satan doing? Satan wants to defeat me by discouraging me. He wants to discourage me. And, and the reality is there's, there's nothing more discouraging to us when we don't live uh, out our integrity, when we don't live according to God. We get defeated. We get discouraged. And that's why it is so important that I know that this breastplate of righteousness is not my righteousness. It is his. Because when I fall, it doesn't change who I am. Because I don't live by works. I live by faith. That's the reality of it. Whatever I do doesn't change who I am in Christ and that allows me to pick myself up, dust myself off and say, you know what? Yeah, that's not who I am. The undefeatable God is fighting for me. And then I stand in tranquility. I stand in tranquility. I stand in my identity, in my integrity, and then I stand in tranquility. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The truth is you could do a whole series on this passage here and each week take a different piece of the armor and delve into it because they are so deep. And I can't say everything this morning, but I will say that there is something here about how this armor includes the gospel of peace, like being ready to engage the gospel of peace, putting these shoes on that are the gospel of peace, knowing that wherever I go and whatever I do, I am at peace with God and I can be at peace with those in my life. There's an oddness here when you think about this though, right? So here I am, I'm in the middle of this spiritual battle and I have tranquility. (laughs) That's a little bit odd. The gospel of peace in the middle of this spiritual battle. First, uh, in the middle of the battle, I can know peace. Just, just, just take that home today. In the middle of the battle, in the middle of the attack, when I'm struggling, I can have peace. I can know peace because I have the, what, the spiritual armor of, of the shoes of the gospel of peace on me. That's who I am in Christ. That's my identity in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, look at this verse. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. There's the gospel which you have received, in which you stand. We stand in the gospel, right? And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. I said earlier that gospel-centric preaches, uh, preaching preaches the gospel to believers because the gospel doesn't just save us 
The gospel is saving us and the gospel will save us. There's, there's gonna come a time and point when we're gonna know the full effects of the work that was finished and I'm gonna get my glorified body and I'm going to heaven and there's a day of salvation coming and there's a day of salvation that is right now and I, but I was saved and the work's all done. That's what's so hard to, to figure out. It's, it's all done, I'm complete in Christ, I'm holy, I'm righteous. My old man's been defeated, but I still live in this physical body. I still wrestle with this, with all the thoughts up here in my brain and in my mind, and I'm in the midst of this war. And the gospel, even today, is saving me as I interact with the gospel. And just knowing that I have peace with God, and that can bring peace into all my other relationships. Just understand the gospel is at work in my life right now. Now, and at the same time, I was thinking about this, that, you know, when you think about the gospel of peace, and he talks about the readiness of the gospel of peace, there is a sense where, yeah, the gospel, and Paul talks about this a lot, lot, about being ready with the gospel, being prepared to take the gospel to others, because, you know, here's, in this spiritual battle, I'm not not just fighting for myself, am I? I'm, I'm fighting for those around me who don't know Christ. That they could know the same peace that I know, that they could have the same identity that I have that they could have the righteousness as well in Christ. And so the whole time that I'm trying to stand here in the gospel and, I've, and, and I'm trying to, to, to stand in this tranquility, what is Satan trying to do? What, what is Satan trying to do is he wants to defeat me by stirring up dissension. He wants to bring conflict into my life, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, you know, just conflict up here in my thinking, being conflicted with myself. He is trying to stir up dissension within me because he doesn't want me to know the peace of the gospel at work in my life every day. Here's another piece of this armor. I stand through adversity. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So we take up the shield of faith. There's this shield of faith that can help me in this spiritual battle. And let's be honest, Satan's going to fire his fiery darts at us. He's going to fire them strategically. He knows where we're vulnerable and where we're weak, and he's going to fire them. And the, the reality is I can take up this shield of faith. I was thinking about this. When you think about Satan and you think about the spiritual war, how, you know, really everything that Satan has kind of just goes back to two or three key lies. Like he lies about how everything started and how everything began. And then he lies about who God is. Think about that, right? He lies about who God is. He lies about God's love for us, God's trustworthiness. He lies about God's ultimate agenda. All that goes back to the Garden of Eden. And then he lies about who we are. Lies about God. He lies about who we are. He lies about what defines us, about our past and our sin, about what we truly want, about our circumstances. He, he lies to you, about you to me and me to you. And so the, 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 he doesn't have a lot of ammunition. He doesn't have a lot of different lies. There's like two or three lies. He lies about how things started, lies about God, lies about us. And so there's just a few fiery darts. And we have the shield of faith that can withstand those fiery darts. Everything goes back to some core beliefs that we just have to have. I'm reminded of the verse we looked at last week, Hebrews 11.1. 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And there's two parts to this, right? We looked at this last week, two parts to this faith, this idea of faith. 
On one hand, faith is the assurance, the substance. It's the certainty of things hoped for. This is the theological side of our faith. We said that at times this was used, this word here, assurance or substance was used for like a title deed. But, 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 but the ultimate, ultimate thing we saw last week was this substance or assurance is it's the idea, hypostasis, of a foundation under us. There's a foundation under us. There's a foundation of all that we believe and all that we know, all of our theology, all, all the truth of Scripture. And what does faith do? Well, what does Satan do? Satan fires those fiery doubts and he wants to get us to doubt. And what, is, what does our faith do? But, but faith, it finds the foundation of my, it's the foundation of my beliefs. It's the, it's the sub, it takes me back, like here are my beliefs and then it takes me back and says, no, these beliefs are rooted in something. And so there's this theological side of my faith, but then there's the practical side, Right? Because he talks about the conviction of things not seen. There's this ability to see in all of my circumstances. There's this ability to see beyond my circumstances. To see the unseen in that reality and to see past our circumstances. And, and, and so both of these elements are going on. So I was thinking about this. How does, how does this work? This is really fascinating to stop and, and think about this reality. So what does Satan want to do? Satan wants to defeat us through doubt. Satan wants to de- defeat me by raising doubts. And so Satan brings along doubts. And, and, and again, he wants me to doubt God's love and God's wisdom and God's goodness and God's concern and God's plan. I, I've said many times, Satan isn't just the father of lies. He's the father of doubts. He told the first lie, he cast the first doubt back in the garden. In fact, doubt is how he got them to buy that first lie. They just started to doubt and then they bought into that very first lie. So I got to thinking about this, about how he fires these darts of doubt at us to attack what we believe, to attack, you know, what we understand about who we are in Christ and to even attack our faith, but we've got this shield of faith that withstands that. And so this is kind of how God showed, this was kind of fascinating to me to, to unpack this. You know, doubt is not the absence of faith. Faith is actually how I answer my doubts. So think about that. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. What would be the opposite of doubt? Well, belief. In some senses, you look it up, belief is really the opposite of doubt. I believe this or I don't believe this. I doubt this. So think about how that works. It kind of shows us a little bit how faith interacts with belief. In a circumstance where the fiery darts of doubt have been fired and a specific belief is under attack, faith is the ability to find the substance or the foundation under that very belief. It looks beyond my emotions and beyond my circumstances and finds, why did I believe that? Oh, I know why I believe that. Because of the cross or because of this or because of that and I understand why I believe that. And it's the ability to see past the the lies that Satan tells me, right? See past my circumstances and see past my lies. I was thinking it's kind of like, think of it like this, like a tug of war. Like, so I've got, I've, I've, I've got right here what I believe. And then over here I've got my circumstances and then over here I've got my faith. And so I got these beliefs. I believe this right here. My circumstances are trying to pull me over here to doubt, to, to not believe anymore. And over here is my faith saying no. I, I know what those beliefs are rooted in. 
And, and I can see past my circumstances. I can see the cross and I can see the goodness of God. Pretty powerful to stop and think about that reality. And so in this spiritual battle, my beliefs are under attack and they're in this tug of war and it is the, 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 the shield of faith that goes before me and takes those fiery darts. I was thinking, you know, we've heard the last couple years now, right, with COVID, trust the science. We have all of them, trust the science. I'm not gonna debate the, the whole science of everything in the last two years, but I'll say this, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, trust the evidence. Trust the evidence. The evidence of things unseen. Trust the evidence. Trust what you know to be true rooted on your faith. And again, what did we learn last week, right? Where does faith come from? Who had the faith to carry out the... Christ had all the faith. The faith always goes back to him. He gives me the faith. He matures the faith in me. I like this. Like many sheep ranchers in the West, Lexi Fowler had, has tried just about everything to stop crafty coyotes from killing her sheep. She has used odor sprays, electric fences, and scare coyotes. She has slept with her lambs during the summer and has placed battery-operated radios near them. She has corralled them at night, uh, herded them during the day, but the southern Montana rancher has lost scores of lambs, 50 last year alone. Then she discovered the llama, the aggressive, funny-looking, afraid-of-nothing llama. Fowler said llamas don't appear to be afraid of anything. When they see something, they put their head up and walk straight toward it. That is aggressive behavior as far as thy coyote is concerned. And they won't have anything to do with that. Coyotes are opportunists and llamas take that opportunity away. And that is our shield of faith. That is the faith that Christ had when he went to the cross and he just stored down, stared down death and sin and hell and the enemy. And he just looked him in the eyes and said, it's finished. And, and that's... For you and I, this is the shield of faith that we just stare down. All those that want to attack my beliefs, all those things that want to through my circumstances cause me to doubt. So I stand in my identity, my integrity, my tranquility and my adversity and then I stand in victory. I stand in victory and we take on the helmet of salvation and here's the reality. So much of this battle is one up here in my thinking. It's one up here in my Thoughts. Think about this, right? Doubt is seeded into our mind. Deception is seeded into our thinking. Discouragement is seeded into our attitude. So much of the spiritual battle happens up here in our mind. And we have the mind of Christ, right? Amen? So we have, a, we have the ability to fight back through our identity in Christ. Look at a great verse here. I want you to see something amazing. The, the night Jesus is arrested, the night before he's crucified, I think this happens right before he goes out into the garden and, and prays to the Father and, you know, not my will, but your, your will be done. Listen to what he says prior to that to the disciples. He's taught them all, all night. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know the most fascinating Word in that whole thing might be that word I have. Because think about it. He's saying, I have overcome the world and he has yet to go to the cross. He hasn't even gone to the cross, but it's done. Now, in his mind, he's got a victor's mindset. I'm going to go to the garden. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get the strength I need. I'm going to take the shield of faith. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to stare it all down. And you know what? I have overcome the world. And I haven't even gone to the cross yet. It is finished and it's not even begun. 
We said that before, right? The God who finished before he started way back in eternity past. But what a great thing. And the question for us is simply this. Do I have a victorious mindset? Do I look at this battle and say, I have won. I have won. And I'm not just talking about the world's attitude of thinking like a winner, right? Oh, think like a winner. And that's not necessarily wrong or bad. I'm talking about, though, about the attitude that says, in Christ, I have already won. Even when it looks like I'm losing. Even when Christ is on the cross and he's, he's being murdered and all the disciples run away, we lost. No, you didn't. That, very, that loss was actually the, the victory. You were actually in the process of winning. It's like those people that go to the game, you know, and they leave like, they leave five minutes earlier. All the team's getting blown out. And then their team makes this miraculous comeback and scores four touchdowns in the last five minutes. And they're, they're like, oh, we missed the greatest game ever. That's the disciples the night Jesus was crucified. So think about it. What does Satan want to do? He wants to, do, to, to defeat me uh, with defeatist thinking. That should say with defeatist. He wants to destroy me, but with defeatist thinking. He's trying to defeat me with, by defeating my thinking. Like he just doesn't want me to think like I am, like a winner. I was thinking it's kind of like Noah, when you think about Noah, right? You think Noah ever had a bad day? He's building the ark. You think Noah ever, had, did, you know, ever did anything wrong and, and didn't live up to his righteousness? And, and had a, but you know what? He was always a winner. And he was always the one who was going to end up on that ark and he was going to sail to victory even when he was having a bad day. And that's you and I. But even when we fall short of the glory, even when we stumble and fall, even when our circumstances get the best of us, put on the helmet of salvation and say, I have one in Christ. I have one in Christ. And then finally that takes us to the last piece of armor and I stand by the word. And we take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And many will say that the word here really is the only offensive weapon that we have. Everything else is kind of defensive. And then we take the Word of God. And we fight with the Word of God. And we, we need to know the Word of God. We need to know how to, 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 to swing the sword of the Spirit in the moment. What is God saying about my circumstances? What is God saying about me? What is God saying about my enemy? The Word tells us, and here's the thing, you think about the Word and the importance of the Word. The Word will tell us Satan's strategies. The world will tell us how Satan's fighting. The world tells us, right? How do we know, think about this, how do we know that Satan wants to defeat us by deceiving us and discouraging us and distracting us and stirring up dissension and doubt with defeatist thinking? How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us those are the tactics of the enemy. So know the word. Stand by the word. Stand on the word. Swing the word. Read the word. Live the word. So when we stand up with the word of God and suit up with all of our other armor, that is when God fights for us and we are undefeatable. The undefeatable God is fighting for me. I put this together last night after the Valentine's banquet and so I, I kept, there's a couple things I just missed that slide throughout the whole thing. It's like, how did I do that? Anyway. So I stand up. How do I, how, how do I let Christ fight for me? I stand up. And then I suit up. And then I look up. And God fights for us as we look up to Him. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Not going to say a lot here. But let me just tell you two things. 
two things about this. Number one, we need to pray for the spiritual battle. Pray for the spiritual battle you're in. Pray for the tactics, the schemes of the, uh, the enemy's going to use against you. Just pray for this spiritual battle. Every day, get up and pray. Today, Lord, Satan's going to attack me. Prepare me. Help me be ready. Help me be aware of the, the shoes of the gospel of peace so that I can know I have peace today in all my relationships and I don't have to, you know, or, 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 or let me lower, just, just let me know, Lord, that, that, I am, that I am righteous in you and that I just want to, to live as a man of your word today. Pray for the spiritual battle and then we need to pray on this spiritual armor. Just pray it on. Just, just think through, you know, how do I... Lord, just today, give me your victorious mindset. Lord, give me today your shoes of the gospel of peace. May I be ready. May I be ready to tell anyone and everyone about the peace they can have in you. Lord, let, let me know that I am righteous in you, that it's not about what I do. It's not about how, how good I perform today. It's about what you've done for me and what you want to do in me and through me. And so, yeah, stand up. Suit up, look up. And do you understand when you, when you look at that, right? God is fighting for us. God is doing it all. I just, I just kind of show up. <laughs> I stand up, suit up, look up, and I guess I could put show up on there, right? I just show up. and God will fight for me if I, if I just embrace the fact that he is more committed to me than I am to him. Let me give you two closing thoughts here. First of all, thinking about David a minute, you know, when you think of the story of David and Goliath, and I heard this years ago from, uh, from, from a pastor that's always resonated with me. We always look at the story of David and Goliath, right? And who are, who are we most like? We always look at that. Well, I'm like David. I'm the one that's going out there to face down and stare down my giants. I'm most like David. But the truth is, honestly, probably most of us are more like Goliath. Because what did Goliath do? Well, Goliath put on, put on all his armor. He didn't, he didn't focus on the inner armor. He focused on, he put all his armor on. And we're more like that. And there's something about, I don't need to trust myself and I don't need to trust my abilities and I don't need to put on all this physical uh, exterior armor because I have the inner armor of the identity of Christ. I can stand firm in that. I can fight in that. I can find the victory in that. I think that is so powerful. And then I thought about this in the scriptures. There's a, you, you want the best picture of somebody implementing this idea to stand firm to win the spiritual battle? Who, who gives us the best picture in Scripture of standing firm to win the spiritual battle? Anybody? Jesus won the ultimate war at Calvary by standing firm by being steadfast, by patiently enduring. He just, he's hanging on the cross, okay, but he's standing. Like he's, he's hanging, but he's standing there knowing who he is as the son of God, knowing that he is the Messiah, knowing that he is the Holy One, knowing that, that this, this, the mission is from the Father. And he hangs there standing firm with the shield of faith, with the righteousness that you and I need, with the gospel of peace, with everything. He just stands there and he stares down the enemy and he wins. What a great lesson for you and I today. Let me leave you with one last story. Um, I may have shared this story several years ago. 
But we can learn a lot about some of Satan's strategies in spiritual warfare by studying the military strategies of some of the warriors of old. In his book, Head Game, author Tim Down writes, PSYOPs stands for psychological operations, a form of warfare as old as the art of war itself. An early example of this can be found in the battle strategies of Alexander the Great. On one occasion, when his army was in full retreat from a larger army, he gave orders to his armorers to construct oversized breastplates and helmets that would fit men seven or eight feet tall. As his army would retreat, he would leave these items for the pursuing army to discover. When the enemy would find the oversized gear, they would become demoralized by the thought of fighting such giant soldiers, and they would abandon their pursuit. Satan likes to play head games with us too, often leaving us demoralized by fear or doubt. We assume Satan is bigger or greater than he really is, and the quickest way to thwart our enemy's psyops is to gaze upon the greatness of our God and to know that there is an undefeatable God who is fighting for me and who is far greater than Satan could ever dream of being. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the power we have in you, the strength we have in you. Thank you for who you have shaped us to be, that you have given us yourself, that we stand in your identity. And Lord, our greatest struggle probably is coming to terms with who we really are in in you, of understanding the treasure that we have in these jars of clay, of understanding the, the power and the strength, the unsurpassing power that is ours through Christ. Lord, Help us this week, each one of us, as we go our separate ways, as we face the battle this week, to remember what we've heard this morning, to know that we are strong in you, to put on the armor, to pray on the armor every day, and to know that the undefeatable God is fighting for us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you.